0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically based, relationally driven, spirit led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Good morning, City Church. Let's try that again. Good morning, City Church. That's for that's for Pete Hartwig. I didn't want it to feel too unfamiliar to you guys this morning. Um, my name my name is Aaron Herman. Um, I've been here at City Church for about eight years. Um, I have I served on staff with Chi Alpha after graduating for several years, and I just recently accepted a new position in consulting. So I'm going to be making a pivot. Um, I am really excited to be here as we journey through Advent together. And this morning, we're talking about the Advent theme of peace. It's interesting to talk about peace during a season that sometimes feels peaceful, sometimes not so peaceful. It's not always a Hallmark movie. Uh, About five years ago, I got married to my husband, Zach. I think there's a picture. He's the one that's not me on the left. Um, and five years ago, we set out to get our first Christmas tree. Has anyone had that experience before? I was so excited. It was our first live tree. And so we went out to the Christmas tree lot. We learned a lot that day about the differences in our styles of communicating and picking out a Christmas tree. I would call Zach an efficient (laughs) tree buyer, which is if you, success would be for Zach to pick the first tree on the lot. If you touch it, you buy it. Do we have any of those type of tree buyers in the room? All right. I would call myself a maximizer. I would like the best tree on the lot. If we're going to be investing in this month of looking at this tree every evening, then I want to make sure I have the best one. And I'm pretty confident that the next one we look at is the best one, which turns into 10 or 15 more. So we picked a tree. We got it home. My parents had given us a tree stand very kindly, so we set it up. We were so excited. We made sure it was all straight. We bring it inside. We fill it up with water, and there's a leak in the tree stand, water all over the floor, pine needles on the floor. We take the tree back outside. Neither one of us have engineering backgrounds, but we devised a garbage bag and duct tape seal on the tree stand to try to make sure there were no leaks um, it did not work. So back inside, more pine needles, more water. Back outside, we went to two stories before we found a tree stand. And if that's not a sign of the fall, I don't know what is. We were definitely not at peace within ourselves, with one another, or with our environment by the end of that day. But we got the tree up. Um, so maybe your Christmas season has been peaceful so far. Maybe it's been chaotic. This is a meant to be a funny story, but I also know that it certainly doesn't take us very long to know that the world is, is marked by brokenness, that we have failures, that we spend way too much time doing things that seems to still be broken, that we experience suffering and pain and energy spent on things that don't work. Today, we're going to be looking at the biblical theme of peace. And when we talk about peace in a biblical t- context, we're talking about the word shalom we're talking about this concept of a peace that is not just the absence of conflict. We're talking about a peace that has completeness. There are no cracks in the foundation. There's nothing out of line. It's a peace where God has created a complex world where everything fits, where everything has its place, completeness, undisturbed and unbroken. And we're introduced to this world as it should be in the Garden of Eden as God gives us this picture of his creation and he calls it good. And then we're introduced to humanity and God calls it very good. The crowning achievement of his glory as he creates Adam and Eve and they feel no shame. Instead, they have mutuality and partnership. They're given purpose together as God instructs them to take care of his world. This is good, this is shalom. But God's creation changes when Adam and Eve choose not to trust God. They eat of the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil, in essence saying that they would rather not trust God's plan, but choose a new plan and try their own way. And from then on, we see sin enter the world. And we are all too familiar with this. We are well acquainted with our struggle within ourselves with each other, And with our environment, we experience the pain of relational division, the reality of shame, and the presence of all forms of oppression. We are hurt, and we keep on hurting. We experience brokenness, and we continue to break. But out of this, God's story is not complete. Because he enters in and we read the, the prophet Isaiah who speaks of a child that would be born and he is called the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9 reads, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. We are given the hope of a Messiah, that the world would be restored to perfect harmony and shalom. This future hope of a Messiah that would rescue humanity and bring perfect peace. And this is a desire deep inside our hearts as we experience lament, and as we experience a search back for that home, that our hope for a world that would be better. And that's why I love our story for this morning, that as we look at the Christmas story, we get an invitation into God's plan for his redemption. And as we meet the person of Mary, we get a little bit of a picture of what it means to actually get to do some of that ourselves. So would you all turn with me to Luke 1, and we'll start in verse 26. This is a story that might be familiar to a lot of us, but I hope that God illuminates our hearts this morning to experience something new about him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We know your word is God-breathed, and it's useful for our teaching, our correcting, our training to follow you more wholeheartedly. So I pray that as we approach your word this morning that you give us open hearts, and that we would come into more alignment with your intention for us individually and as a church community, amen. Well, the story reads in verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So the characters were introduced to, first we're introduced to Elizabeth, and what we learn is that she's Mary's relative. She's older, and up until this point, she could not have children, which would have put her in, in a disadvantaged and perhaps disgraced part in her community. But God has given her mercy and a miracle by giving her a son, and we know that that son would be John the Baptist. And then who's Mary? We're actually not given a lot of information about Mary, which is interesting as we know how fundamental her character is to the story yet no family background is given she's young she would be probably a typical jewish woman at the time she would likely be a teenager and she's probably poor she's also engaged which would have meant at the time that her parents were probably quite relieved because it meant that she would have economic security and joseph's a carpenter so he's not he's not a big deal he's not wealthy But he's certainly going to provide for Mary and put a roof over her head. Let's continue. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. In other words, we can expect that this was Mary's first visit from an angel. We're not Told of any others. So she's quite shocked. And she's kind of having this moment where she's like looking behind her shoulder and she's wondering, are you really talking to me? Could this actually be a message for me? And so the angel's response is quite striking. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be a great, and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. The angel tells Mary what the purpose of this is, and he also calls her by name. It's as if he says to her, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what's going on here, and you get to participate in this. It's a big message, and so how, how is this going to work? And Mary asked the, the logical question, how is this going to work since she is a virgin? And the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Another translation puts it this way, for nothing is impossible with God. I want to take a moment to remember, I know, I know it's a popular song. Have you, have you heard of Mary? Did you know? Yeah, <laughs> I thought so. But I really don't believe that Mary knew at this point that being the mother of God would mean that she would get to have an up-close seat to watching her Savior turn water into wine to watching him extend a single touch and healing people. And I don't believe at this point she knew that that in 30 something years, she would be standing before the cross or that she would experience the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost. I don't think she knew those things. But what I do know about Mary in this moment is that she knows that following God's plan is putting everything that she knows in risk. Because after she leaves the angel, she's going to have to convince her family, her fiance, and her community that this is legit. That's not an easy thing to do. It's never happened before. It's not going to happen again. So she's the one person that's going to have to to share with her community what has happened. In the immediate, would Joseph ask for a divorce? Because if that's the case, if if she can't tell him this is true, then she's losing the very roof over her head. And secondly... At the time, unfaithfulness or adultery could be cause for death. She is literally putting her life in risk. And secondly, it's important to note that at this time in history, Rome is the superpower of the world. And Caesar Augustus is in power. And it's an important moment in history because it's called the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome. Rome was experiencing a political peace, unlike things that they had seen in the past. And they literally thought that their Caesar was divine. So she's standing in this moment in history with, a, with the superpower of the world, a son of God, who is saying that he is bringing peace. But Mary knew that it was a false peace because she knew the oppression of, of her people. She knew that, that Rome's military might was at the root of this, that it was a peace that had the the side effect of violence and oppression. So this wasn't a true peace. But Mary is standing up and saying that she believes that the kingdom of God is coming, that she believes that the prophecy that Isaiah spoke of a prince of peace, that a kingdom of peace was arriving. With all this at stake, it should shock us to hear the next words out of Mary's mouth, which are, I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word to me be fulfilled. she Wright says something I think is significant for Mary, and also significant for us as we try to put ourselves in Mary's place. He says, Mary is the supreme example of what always happens when God is at work by grace. The Holy Spirit will come upon Mary enabling her, as the Spirit always does, to do and be more than she could by herself. In other words, this kind of faith and the reliance upon the word of God that Mary exemplifies is available to us all by the work of the Holy Spirit. That we enter into these magnificent things in his kingdom only by the power of the Spirit. So what does Mary do next? The Bible says she hurried to see her cousin. I bet she did because relative to this, I hurry when I hear a new episode of Great British Baking Show is on Netflix. So I can only imagine the news that you would, that you would be blessed in this way would cause you to hurry And so the angel actually tells her that she can find confirmation in what she's been told by visiting Elizabeth. And so when she does, she visits Elizabeth, and then it says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth starts exclaiming, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This, is, this scene should really cause us to take a step back. Because I have sat with, with people who are expecting, and I have I've felt the belly, and I have felt the kicks. But I promise you guys, I've never heard of a, of a mom who can interpret the prophecy of the infant that's in her belly. I have never seen that. But it's at this point in the arc of scripture where when we look back at Genesis and remember the promises that there would be a Messiah, every generation from Eve onward would see that there has not been someone who can overcome this disease of sin. There are really great people and God has been incredibly faithful But nobody has overcome sin. They have all fallen victim to it. And so every Jewish girl who knew the scriptures well could wonder, would this son, would this child, could he be mine? Could I play a part in the redemption of my people? And yet, from the end of the Old Testament, we know that there's something called the intertestamental period, 400 years of silence. No prophecies. No word. And so we can only be left but wonder, did people think that God was done speaking? Did people wonder if God had forgotten his promises or if the world would be left the way it was? And so in this moment, as Elizabeth begins to prophesy, the silence is broken and we know that God is on the move, that he is fulfilling his promises of peace. God has not forgotten us, and he is doing something huge. Mary and Elizabeth are not just praising God for their personal blessing. They're believing in a kingdom of peace that is to come, especially for the poor, especially for the lowly and the marginalized. This is their hope. She's saying, sorry, Rome, you've got it wrong. This kingdom is coming, and it's coming in humility, and it's coming in peace. And so we see this thread woven through human history from Eve to Mary. So what is the big story of Christmas? God's promise of peace being made real before Mary's eyes. God is unleashing a new order of things. And he chooses this partner in Mary. A very unlikely partner. Someone without power, without social standing, without wealth. And so people for a long time have debated why was Mary chosen as God's partner in this way? Was it something about her character? Was it something that she had? Why would she have been elevated or given honor in this way? And I think there's an important clue in the text when it says Mary was highly favored. The word in the Greek is cheritu, which means grace or to make accepted. And the only other place that it's seen in the New Testament is when Paul explains to us our very acceptance in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, he writes, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Why was Mary chosen? simply because God chose her. He is gracious. It's almost co- uncomfortable for us because we wonder if the biblical characters have something different from us that maybe we don't have. But when we look at this story, we recognize in ourselves that God has given us his grace. He has given us our salvation and he has given us generation, new generation by the Spirit to be a participant in his plans. And so God choosing Mary in this moment points to the reality that he is ushering in the upside down kingdom where the low are raised up, up where everyone is given a, a partnership in his plan. He chose the unlikely partner. Pastor Pete often says that the point of Christmas is Easter, that while the Christmas story only shows up in two gospels, the Easter story shows up in all four. And so I believe that in God's partnership in Mary, he's showing us the precursor to the gospel, that Jesus Christ has given us a hope in him, a freely given grace that we get to participate in. So this morning, how do we put feet to our faith in this story? What does this story mean for us today? I wanna propose two things as we close. First, We are reminded in this story that God intends shalom. He intends a perfect peace. He intends a restoration of all things. That is his promise when Jesus returns. And so I wanna remind us, if you're in a position this morning where you're wondering what is God doing? Has he gone silent? I wanna say he has not. He intends shalom and he is bringing shalom. And he is offering it by grace. And then secondly, I want to propose that we can all partic- to participate in bringing this shalom into our relationships, into our church, and into our community. Perhaps what sets Mary apart is her availability. That she says, yes, Lord, I will believe the things that you have said to me. And Elizabeth says that, she has, that Mary has relied upon the word of God the same word of God that we're given, I wonder if Mary was familiar enough with the story and familiar enough with the voice of God that when this wild thing was presented to her, that she had the ability to discern, yes, that's something that I wanna be a part of, despite the risk. And so I wanna ask you this morning, what are the ways in which God has invited you into his redemptive work? how have you been asked to be a person of peace? I have watched doctors choose to practice within underserved populations. I have seen a friend go to law school after reading the Psalms that say to defend the weak and fatherless. I have seen friends uproot their lives to go into the nations where there is not a gospel witness. I also know that to be a person of peace means to offer our generosity, to give of ourselves in hospitality, and to be people of prayer, to pray with those who need a touch of hope and who need to believe that there is a God of shalom. So I wonder this morning if the Holy Spirit is impressing on your heart a way to be a person of peace. What has it been for you? Where has the Holy Spirit nudged you to be the hands of compassion, to be a prayer partner, to extend forgiveness? Where has the whisper of God been to offer your time and your talents and resources into a world that desperately needs them? Or this morning is the takeaway for you to be reminded that God is a God of shalom and that this is our good news, this is our gospel, that he desires peace for you and he desires peace for our world. As we close, would you pray with me that we would be people of peace? Holy Father, we thank you, God, that though we were far from you, that you have chosen to make us accepted in your grace. God, we ask that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit to be people who extend your peace to others, that we would know your very peace for ourselves, and we would make ourselves available to do the wild thing, to be part of your upside-down kingdom, to see you regenerate hearts to see you extend your love, to see you bring peace to our world. And Lord, we pray that it would start here, among us at City Church, that we would be people of peace to one another and to our city. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that this is good news. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.